Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What these young bloods have to understand that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Welcome to Buckets, brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, joined by Albert Wynn, a.k.a. Analytics Capper. You can find him on Twitter, at Analytics Capper, as well as in the Action Network app. The best way for you to track your picks, get up to the second information on where the bets and money are coming in on. You can find all sorts of great information in there across all sports. Our Green Dot Daily Show, daily, covering all things across the betting landscape, getting your daily betting agenda set. Uh, all of our great podcasts, the favorites, the Action Network podcast with Stucky and Raybon and Brandon and uh, Anderson and Glasheen and and Jill and all sorts of folks in there. Make sure to check it out, as well as Buckets, of course. Albert, how are you doing today? How was your weekend betting across sports? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, in terms of betting, NBA, I went really light. I think I went two and one, only three bets in the NBA across Saturday and Sunday. Um, weekends right now, I'm really, really focused on football. It's a great NFL weekend. Check out all my bets on my Twitter, Analytics Capper. Um, but I'm excited for the NBA as we get into the meat of the season, Matt. We're about what almost one-fifth of the way through the regular season. So we're seeing a lot of injuries. We're seeing some load management, things like that. And for us betters and you know sports analysts here, it's, it's easier, in my opinion, to find spots because of guys being out and guys being hurt. Yeah, for me, I think it gets a little bit harder from now until we stabilize some of the sample in December. This is a November's a little dangerous for me, but I'm hanging in. I'm doing okay. Uh, and uh, like I'm up based off of everything in the app, by the way. So I misplayed, I mispriced a, a, a pick in the app that I meant to put a half unit down and it was five units is, is I forgot <laughs> to put the decimal in. And so I'm still trying to work off that on the old ROI. Uh, one person that had great ROI over the weekend. Joel Embiid. Ooh. We're gonna start there as we talk about we get you set for a discussion on the MVP race. So Embiid scores over the weekend on a Saturday Sunday set <clears throat> versus the Hawks in a revenge spot where I bet them, and then on Sunday versus the Jazz where I was on the Jazz and probably would have won that money line bet had Joel not done what he did. 
across mm-hmm. those two games, Joel Embiid scores 101 points with 21 rebounds, 14 assists, and nine blocks in those two games. An absolutely stunning performance led by his 59-point performance versus the Jazz. On Sunday, he was an absolute wrecking ball. I want to give a special credit to him because I'm often critical of him. For one, he usually ducks the back-to-backs. Two, he usually Mm -hmm. plays the tough game or usually plays the easy game and sits the tougher one. So with the back-to-back, it would have made a lot of sense for him to honestly sit versus the Hawks and then play versus the Jazz because, look, the Jazz are a really good team, and that was a quality win, but the Jazz have Kelly Olenek and Laurie Markkinen. There's no one to match up with him against. I thought that... The Jazz didn't scheme him the way that I expected Will Hardy to in terms of bringing the doubles, not nearly as effective as Boston has been through the years. And Joel just absolutely tore him apart. It was just a phenomenal performance. People will talk about the free throws. They had to foul him because they couldn't hold him, and he was still shooting incredible from the field. So uh, I wrote this rundown for us, and when I wrote it this morning, Joel Embiid was plus 1,400 at FanDuel to win MVP. He was plus 700 on October 24th, but between injuries and the Sixers still sliding and the momentum of the other guys, he had moved down to 1,400. I just checked before we went on to record this podcast on Monday morning. It's already down to 1,100, so the, the steam is coming in on Joel, as you would expect. James Harden's absence factors into this a little bit. Injury concerns factor into this a little bit with Joel trying to figure this out. But I want to ask you right now, to what degree is Joel Embiid back into serious consideration? Look, MVP voters would tell you, I'm not seriously considering anybody. We're only 20% of the way through. But from a betting standpoint, if you're trying to get the best of the number and trying to project out, where does Embiid stand for you in terms of value? Yeah, in terms of value, I guess the first thing is, yeah, let's let's give Joel his flowers, an amazing game, especially defensively, seven blocks last night, which is super Oof. impressive. That fourth quarter alone is uh, is something where people average for a full game, right? So he he just tor- torched them. But from a betting perspective, I think there is value. I personally wouldn't bet it because all of this, you know, great play, all of these amazing numbers. And the Sixers are still seven and seven. So I still think from a team perspective, you still have to win. You still have to finish, you know, first, second, third, maybe fourth in your conference um, and be a a legit regular season juggernaut. And I just don't see the Sixers being that. And although that uh, Embiid had a great weekend, I just don't see this type of production sustaining. He is going to have to load manage and take days off and take games off. So for me, I'm I'm staying away from it. I still think it's a two-man race right now. But if you want to jump in, jump in now because you didn't do it like preseason, I think it is a good time because you're getting better odds. I just don't see him playing enough games and playing enough meaningful games to win this award. Yeah, I went ahead and added my position for the entire season. I'm still heavily leveraged on three players who we'll talk about here in a few minutes, Luca and Giannis, and then one more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am going to add just because Joel showing any this is this to me was a signs of life weekend, right? I needed to see Joel Embiid show that he was able to be the player that he was, that he wasn't going to look lethargic. He looked so awful those first two weeks of the season. And there was conditioning questions and a whole bunch of other stuff, but he was just an absolute monster this week. And really has been, if you look at it, I was surprised this morning to find what his numbers stack up as compared to the others this season. So far, I was mm-hmm. very much expecting for MB to be kind of behind, but instead you look at it like Steph Curry's at 32.8 points per game. Embiid's at 32.3. He's already at 32.3. He's averaging more points per game than Giannis. Uh, he's averaging fewer rebounds. 
by a, a small margin. And he's averaging fewer assists than Giannis, but he is averaging, you know, 1.8 blocks per game, which leads the top six of, of odds makers or people in odds and for MVP. And Embiid's now shooting 54% from the field. He should 24% from three. I think that number is meaningful. A lot of the reason that he was able to get in the MVP discussion the last two seasons is his jumper was liquid fire. He had some great mid-range shots last night, but the three-pointer hasn't been there. That little efficiency does matter in terms of boosting him and getting him up into the ranges that we're seeing. Now, he's already there, which is great, but I'll be curious to see how that kind of adjusts. I still think we got to really consider the Harden absence, right? So I'm going to add like a little bit now, a small, just in case I need to be adding to it later, but I am expecting his usage, his points, everything to go down when Harden returns in another three weeks. So as I, I think that's a reason maybe to hold off. If you're a one-time MVP better, if you're looking for one ticket and now is when you want to want to strike, I would say, why do that? But if you, this is why, if this is when you're looking to bet, I definitely don't think that Embiid has the best value right now. Matt, while we're recording this on FanDuel, it's dropped down to plus 1,000. So you we're, <laughs> we're already moving the lines live here on the Action Podcast. But no, I mean, it's justified, right? right? He just had a 59-point game. It's most likely going to be the game of his career, flagship game of the regular season here in 2022. Um, so, I mean, he, he deserves all the credit. We'll get into more of some other positions later, I'm sure. But I do think he is uh, in a running for another award as well, which we'll get into later. Luka Doncic just dipped a little bit. I watched his game versus the uh, Washington Wizards where I expected them to get a win, and he was just really rough. I kind of wonder if Luka was a little bit sick last week. They just did not look right in their games. I was on their bet stream versus the Magic. They looked terrible there. But he had a bounce back versus Portland, so maybe he's turned that corner again. Uh, Luka's down to only 34 points per game and uh, per 100 possessions. He's no longer on pace to average 50 points per 100 possessions, just 47. It's ridiculous what he's what he's doing in terms of the volume. Um, you know, Luka's still shooting 49.6% from the field. He is one of only two in the top six for MVP to be shooting below 50% from the field this season. And he's shooting 29% from three. Uh, the three-pointer simply hasn't been there. We talked about this on the episode with Brandon Anderson, and I, I do think it's worth kind of mentioning that we talked about how we kind of expect his three-point percentage to stabilize. He starts off a lot of seasons slow from three-point range. For me, I think my only concern, and I have a large position on Luka. Like, I have a huge position. I put a 10-unit bet in in the preseason. That was my biggest. I was like, I want to get in now because I think he's going to – I believe firmly he's going to be top three at the end of the season. Yeah. We're definitely on pace for that. The durability question I have with him, Albert, I, I, I'm i a little bit worried about – he has taken a lot of bumps. He's taken a lot of falls. He's going down and holding his ankle and having to walk off stuff. I did a video last week on how often he's driving. He's driving a ton, and I feel like there's a durability question that could threaten his MVP candidacy if only because if he has to miss time, I don't know how the Mavericks win without him. I fully agree with that. I I think one thing that's going for him is um it's n- it's not meant to be a joke or a dig or anything, but the lack of vertical actually helps him in this uh, sense, right? He's not jumping really high for dunks. He's not landing on people's feet. Um, so the type of ankle injuries or knee injuries are a little more minor compared to other people who are high flyers. If he starts getting soft tissue injuries, that's when I would really start worrying. But the the thing with him, he's been playing all summer long for Slovenia. And even though he doesn't look like it, it does seem like he's in better shape. I think when it comes to the Mavericks, and you know here I'm in I'm in Dallas, so I monitor his team really closely. 
fourth quarters have always been an issue for them. And it's not only because they rely on Luca, but Luca is tired by that point because he's just put on, uh, he's done so much already in the first three quarters. And, you know, in the last six minutes of the game, you expect him to continue that type of production. And it's really hard, but I would say it's better this year than in previous years. And he has uh, more outlets that he can pass the ball to Tim Hardaway's, healthy again so he can get buckets christian wood off the bench is nice so i mean it's it's just nice spencer dinwiddie another ball handler to take the jalen brunson role so i think as long as he's you know taking care of his body and really managing it uh you know during the long season i wouldn't be too worried about injuries he's also in his in the prime of his physical career right being in the low 20s i think he's going to be good for the next few years Donovan Mitchell slid out of the top six. That's the biggest change from Friday's episode. Yep. Is he missed a game versus the Cavs, and they lost two in a row now after the loss on Friday as well. So a uh, little bit of a, of a dip there from Mitchell. I will go ahead and say at plus 1,800, I think this is the last week that we see John Morant in the top six for MVP for a while. If you look at Jaws' numbers, he's the only candidate in the top six that's not averaging over 30 points a game. Typically in that situation for a point guard, you'd be like, oh, he must have like an extremely high assist rate. He's got the second highest of the top six behind Luca at seven, but seven's not a number that I'm going to get like over the moon about. Yeah. Like, I don't know exactly how to, how to, I don't know why John Morant is here and Trey Young is not is what I would say. Uh, Trey's down or jaws down to 48% from the field. He's three point percentage is starting to dip slowly, but surely he's down to 41%. That's still second best amongst the top six in MVP behind Steph who we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, I think this is probably the last time that we're going to see jaw. People are really surprised when I say this because like I'm a Memphis forward guy. Like I, I was a Memphis fan before I, I lost my fandom to doing this for a living. I just don't think the Grizzlies are that good. I think that even with Jaron Jackson Jr. slowly starting to come off of the injury list and probably going to play here the next couple of weeks, I'm still not at a place where I think that the Grizzlies are as good as their record. I think they're probably much more closer to Dallas and I think that's going to reflect. I, I think this is probably the last week that I expect to see John Morant in the MVP conversation, at least for the top six in betting. Yeah, I, I couldn't really argue with that there because I think Kevin Durant is moving up quick. I think mm, yeah. people are going to start respecting Jokic again, even though he's a back-to-back -back winner. He's going to start moving up there as well. And my pick later, we'll, we'll dive into it a little more, but I think Devin Booker has an outside shot to get into top six as well with the Phoenix Suns because they continue to... Uh, win games. Chris Paul is going to miss a lot of time. Uh, Cam Johnson is going to miss a lot of time. So I think the usage rate for Devin Booker is only going to increase from here on out. So I agree with you. John Morant is a great player on a, a solid team, but um, being a top six MVP candidate might be asking for too much right now. Let's move on to our second segment, which is the, I call it the mic drop. MIC, the most important covers of the weekend. We'll start with the Boston Celtics that toppled Denver Nuggets on Friday night. Uh, they've now, after being the Pistons on Saturday on the back-to-back, -back, they've won six in a row as we record this. They faced the Thunder on Monday night. Mm -hmm. Boston's looked awesome. They've been incredible. They've been a, just a phenomenal team. I've got them power-rated number one uh, based, off, based off of the numbers that I used to assert this. They, I've got them well above the second-place team, which is the Utah Jazz, and then, uh, shockingly, the Brooklyn Nets actually ranked very well in this. By the way... Quick aside, I'm going to be – I bet the Nets uh, versus the Clippers on the money line and then bet against them on versus the Lakers in the LA nightlife spot. I think the Nets might be good. I'm a mm -hmm. little concerned the Nets might actually be good. Uh, <laughs> I think that might have to do with certain personnel that may or may not be available right now. But as far as Boston goes, 
you know, I see my, my big concern here is they're on a heater offensively. This is the number one effective field goal percentage team in the league. They don't take a lot at the, they take a fair amount of the room, but they're a, a jumper heavy team. And second spectrum has a, a stat called QSM, which measures expected field goal percentage versus your actual. And the expected mark is based not only off of where you shoot from and how tight the contest is based on league averages, but that factors for shooter. Cause that's the response. Whenever I you post these stats, it's like, well, they're a really good shooter. So it doesn't really matter. My guy's just awesome. Even by their standards, they're second highest. Now they're not number one by like a wide margin. This is not a super outlier situation. Mm-hmm. I just think their offense is slightly outperforming. Jalen Brown's been on an absolute heater. Like he's just been ridiculous in terms of shooting, but they're doing all this without Robert Williams. I have a feeling that how we cap Boston now is going to be radically different from how we cap Boston in January and going forward. I agree with you. And it's, it was very similar to last year where they didn't really have um, an identity until, you know, that players only meeting in January and then just reeled off like 30 straight wins basically. And they've taken that momentum into this season and they know who they are now, but once they get their defensive horse back and Robert Williams, I think they're going to, have another pivot in terms of identity. I think they're going to focus a little more on rebounding, uh, defense, things like that. But you're right. Right now, they're first place in three-point shooting, uh, making over 16 a game ahead of the Pacers and the Warriors and the Jazz. Um, they average almost 120 points on average per game, which is insane if you think about it, yeah. shooting almost 40% from three. So you're right. Like These numbers, I don't know if they're sustainable, and I don't think there's going to be a big drop-off, to be honest, Matt, but – with that being said, I just think once we get into the playoff bunts, once they start positioning for playoffs, I think they'll focus a lot more on defense. And again, it's it's tough because they're in a, a new coaching staff situation, right? There was a little unrest there heading into the season. And the thing now, Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown have both taken a step up. So they're in their primes of their careers. So you expect the offense to have an uptick as well. Yeah, the defense still isn't there for them, which has been shocking. Uh, overs are eight and five this season for the Boston Celtics. I think that's been a pretty solid play night by night. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. They've had a couple of games where they they look like them, their old selves, but then they go right back to allowing big numbers. Um, I, I do kind of, ex- this is kind of how I would say, I don't think they're going to be drastically different in terms of the win-loss record because as the offense regresses, I expect the defense to improve. Mm-hmm. And those those two things kind of get back to where we kind of expect them to be. I think the problem is that the defense, they're equally distant. The defense is is way worse than you would expect and that we can really, we think that this team will be by the time it's all said and done. But the offense is way better than it was last year. Winning teams, you always kind of overestimate whatever their weakest component is. If they're a winning team, you're like, well, the defense isn't that bad. No, it really is. Their offense is just that good. That's who they were last year. Their defense was so awesome that it didn't really matter that their offense was eh, pretty good, not, not great. And now they have like the best offense in the NBA, but they can't get stops. It's a very weird situation. 
Uh, but I do think you should, I will say, don't bet on the regression now. You know, I've talked about this, about chasing steam and trying to follow these trends. Don't try and catch that falling knife. It's okay yep. if you don't want to bet on the overs on Boston. That's all right. If you're just like, no, I don't want to bet on the overs on Boston. Any given night, they can they can turn this on. Fine. But don't go the other way is what I would argue. It's like, don't start betting unders until they prove that they've stabilized. Once they stabilize, try and be early, try and be aware of it. And then you can adjust your cap accordingly. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and Boston, I actually like the Boston spot tonight, to be honest. I know we're not talking about betting, um, but big spread right now. They only shot 43% from the field last game and still covered the number. You expect that shooting to be a lot better this tonight against an OKC team that doesn't have any size and no defense interior wise. So I think Boston's going to be able to maybe a team total or something like that. I laid the the points of them. I laid yeah. the points of them tonight because uh, the Thunder shot 55% from three versus the Knicks. Teams that shoot 55% are better from uh, three the following game. They tend to really struggle. Also, OKC's been pretty rough on back-to-backs in the rebuilding era. Uh, speaking of rough, let's talk about the Golden State Warriors, who remain Ooh. winless on the road, dropping to the Sacramento Kings. Uh, my gripe, I have to, I get one gripe per game or per pod. <laughs> My gripe for this episode, I had the same game parlay on Steph Curry, took him down all the way to 27 and a half points versus the Sacramento Kings and five and a half rebounds. Simple little same game parlay plus 130. Light, light work for Steph. Rebounds have been a sneaky good prop for him. Hit the over on the rebounds. I got the hook at 27 as the Warriors lose to the Kings. Come on, Steph. You can't get me 28 <laughs> points versus the Kings. Uh, I'm not worried. I... I don't care how much people talk about it. I'm not worried about this Golden State team. They're going yep. to be fine. I if, if I put in one this weekend, a I I I haven't worked with you in long enough, AC, for you to tell you this. I do a lot of uh, futures betting in terms of the finals matchup. I find that those parlays you can play them against each other and come out ahead because of the numbers that you get. I bet a Bucks Warriors last week. I, I will continue to bet these scenarios of the Warriors winning the Western conference. I don't see any reason why you would look at this team and go, they can't fix this. It's pretty clearly, Hey, we need to get some veterans and maybe play James Wiseman specifically less, but maybe some of the other guys less too. Um, They're, they're taking a very long view approach on this. And I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you from a big picture perspective. They're four time champions. Uh, You know, the core of this team has been amazing. Uh, Steph Curry, arguably, you know, the the generational player, right, right, of this era, definitely the most influential, the way he plays offense. Um, but if you look at the standings, right, the Lakers right now are in 14th in the West, and the Warriors are in 13th. You would never expect that. The Warriors are 5-8. and eight. Again, it's still early. They'll definitely get into the playoffs. But it's going to be hard to get a home court advantage. So you're going to expect this team to have to win on the road. And again, they can, and they've shown it. They've done it in the past, so definitely can. It's just a lot harder road to take if you're, you know, playing the first three rounds on the road without home court advantage, especially if you're going into, you know, Phoenix or Denver. And again, these teams have never won because there are there are the Warriors right there as the block, and that's the reason why they haven't won. Uh, it's just a really hard road to to get into. But I agree with you, big picture wise, I don't think they're worried. I think they are going to make a couple moves because it, it's pretty clear that some of their young pieces don't really fit well with this, you know, older core here. Um, so I, I'm excited and interested to see how they move forward. We know Steve Kerr is a great problem solver, so we'll see what he does. Uh, I asked two executives this weekend who are not in Golden State, 
I asked them, if you were the Warriors and you and you felt like you had to move on from the kids and you had to, to kind of build up to supplement this run to make sure that that Steph, et cetera, had, a, had another run together, a serious run, who's your first call? And this is speculative. This is not based off of like, they would, they've already done this or they would do this. This is speculative, but they both said Atlanta. Travis mm-hmm. Schlenk, former GM, a G, Golden State executive, runs the, the, the Hawks. Atlanta is always involved in trade talks. They're always looking for upgrades. The Hawks, I think, have been really good this season. I actually have them considerably higher, I think, than where they're at in the market. But they're also a team that consistently is looking to upgrade and try and be aggressive and swap out pieces. So I kind of wonder if eventually that's going to be the move, especially if there's an opportunity to move Capella, move Bogdanovich, some of those guys. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least talks between Atlanta and Golden State if the if the Warriors decide that the timeline isn't going to work out the way that they wanted. The post-Nash surge is over in Brooklyn. They finally lose <laughs> to the Lakers on Sunday. Uh Seth Curry was out, which was the deciding factor of me going in. I went, I waffled all day on this. It was an LA nightlife spot. You play on Saturday night, you beat the Clippers, you feel great. You've got, it was an early game. So they had the whole evening to go out and enjoy themselves (laughs) versus the Lakers on Sunday, East coast teams, early start comparatively, uh, just all sorts of spots there for me to bet bet the Lakers. Eventually I went in on plus four and a half and uh, that covered as the Lakers won outright by double digits did not bet the money line, which I'm okay with. I don't, I would have felt dumb. Betting the money line was the wrong pick. I will. I feel okay about it. Um, But I gotta tell you, I think I said this earlier. I think the nuts are, are good. I think now we're at a point where the market's starting Mm -hmm. to catch up to the idea that they're not as good as they were in preseason expectations and so i think that there's like this we're in a weird zigzag right they they're not as good and they've been losing so you got to adjust 100%. them down from preseason and then they win a little bit so they move back up and they're wobbling i think right now is a time that based depending on matchup and spot and number uh i'm no longer like absolutely not i'm a little interested in betting the nets right now yeah, the biggest difference for them is defense. They are the no- seventh best point defense team in the in the league, which you would not expect going into the season. Uh, and Ben Simmons has been hurt, hasn't even been playing. So they're only giving up 108.7 points. It's crazy just talking about those numbers and that's seventh best in the league. Uh, but they are seventh best. And right now they're six and eight. They're five and five in the last 10 games, obviously playing a lot better with the new coach and without Kyrie. Um, and this is kind of like the team that Kevin Durant asked for, to be honest, shooters and defense around him and then let KD cook in the fourth quarter. Um, that game against the the Lakers was really weird because AD had a really good game. That was a vintage Pelicans, Anthony Davis type game with, I think, 37 and 18 is what he ended up with. And really stifling defense from the guards on L.A., from Patrick Beverly, Russell Westbrook, just getting into Katie's grill and then always having AD help on the backside. So that's a really tough matchup when you don't have a shooter on on the weak side like a Curry or a Kyrie, like you mentioned. So um, I think all of it worked out perfect for, perfectly for the Lakers. But as far as the Nets are concerned and the markets are concerned, I agree with you. I think the next week or two is kind of when you want to jump into Brooklyn and and find some spots. Especially when you get them in, in dog spots. That's really I want them. I don't want them as favorites. I don't like them in spots where they should outperform expectation. I want them only in, hey, they're not as bad as we thought they would be. That's, mm-hmm. that's where I want the Brooklyn Nets uh, to take my money. 
Finally, injuries are starting to creep into the NBA, and it's affecting the win-loss records. Phoenix is so banged up, they lose to Orlando. Chris Paul sits in that game. The Cavs lost two in a row, with Mitchell and Allen sitting that second game, just rest purposes. Giannis has already missed two games this season. It's not a lot, but it is kind of indicative that a little bit of of banged up with him. It's going to impact some things. So we're starting to see, I think, injuries creep in. Toronto is another good example of this. They're without Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam right now and Precious Achua. It's like teams are getting banged up and we're starting to see that impact. I think um, how to bet them. What's your approach when this is the, when these starts of things start to creep in uh, to the NBA, how does that affect your cap and what's your general approach with them? Yeah. The approach topic is interesting. If it's a late scratch, then I actually like that team because I think uh, it galvanizes the team together and they're like, okay, next man forward. And let's just play really well for this one night. But if you know someone like a Chris Paul is going to be out for an extended injury or, um, you know, Pascal Siakam is going to be out for at least two weeks, it's much harder to cap those. And it's much uh, it's a higher chance that I would be fading those spots instead of backing. But as far as let's say, you know, let's say the Suns are playing the Bucks tonight and everyone's supposed to be playing and Giannis is scratched in, in the last 10 minutes before tip off. I tend to like the Bucks there because I think all the money and all the bets will be pouring into the Suns. So it's a nice contrarian spot. But as far as like overall approach, Matt, I, I would say I still just really focus on the numbers and not really focus on the players when it's an extended injury. Yeah, and I think a good approach that you can have, and this is even if you don't have um, a projection or model system that spits out a number, is you should try and calibrate how much you think that that player is worth to the spread. Um, you can outweigh that with, I think this is a high motivational spot, or I think that they, that their backup is good enough to mitigate some of that. You can factor that in a standard to kind of think about is Paul George is worth basically three points at the spread. That's what I got a couple of years ago. And there's no reason to think that that's changed. So calibrate everybody against whatever scale you want to use. You can also look at these and see how the line moves and remember like, Oh, this was, you know, this was a point and a half higher before Pascal Siakam was out. Like Siakam is actually, I think, a really great example of this, where I don't think the market appropriately accounted for how good he's been and how important he is to this Raptors team. And so they gave me a little bit of an edge betting against Toronto when he's been out. Um, You should look at specifically teams that are also built around these guys, uh, built around them in, in particular, if they're very if they're hyper dependent on them that's just going to impact them more but there's also a counter to this i will say is there are cases where a guy is so a team is so dependent on a player it's hard for the other team to scout them appropriately Mm -hmm. if you've done film work the day before on the mavericks and luke is out you are playing an entirely different fucking team it is not the same team it's they're just going to play different. It's a big reason, honestly, why I think Utah has caught a lot of teams off guard. There's no tape on them. Nobody, nobody knows who Utah is because they're, these guys have never played before in an NBA regular season. It's all new guys. And so they're, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why we'll probably see the value on Utah diminish greatly over the next two months. The tape gets out on them. So that's yeah, and honestly, it, it just it just triggers something you mentioned him earlier, but John Morant, it's a great discussion. I think he missed what like fifteen or eighteen games last year, mm-hmm. and the Grizzlies ended up going like fifteen and one, like some yeah. absurd number. And you look at his stats, uh, you know, he only plays about 32, 33 minutes a game. Uh, his usage rate is not that high anyway. So you're right. Like as far as impact, again, this is more of an MVP discussion. But John Morant, 
probably shouldn't be in the top six. And when he's out, they win anyway. So yeah. um, that does, uh, you know, that does affect how you cap certain games. All right. Finally, we're going to do our, if we had to bet the awards right now, we won't always have bets on these. If we do, we'll let you know. Uh, if we had to bet MVP right now, I'll just go ahead and tell you it's Steph Curry for me. I put a bet in for him over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Buy and low right now, Warriors under 500. Steph's numbers are absolutely bonkers. He has that 47-point performance in the first game versus the Kings. Uh, he's been ridiculous. He's playing at an absurd level. If the Warriors get to where I think they, they will be by the end, and Curry is putting up the kind of numbers that he currently is, which are 33 points a game on 53, 43, and 92. Good Lord. Insane. Uh, Along with, by the way, he's also rebounding really great this season. 6.8 boards, 6.5 assists, and 1.1 steal per game. Uh, He's been just phenomenal. He's always going to be one of the most impactful players. The question of how much he'll play, I think, is a fair one. Does he get injured? That's a concern. But I don't know that that's more of a concern at this point than Luka uh, or Embiid. Maybe Giannis, depending on, on how much they rest him. These are all factors with all of these guys. But I could definitely see if the Warriors go on an insane run and get themselves back into a top three consideration, top three seed, I think there's a very good chance that Steph Curry is at least very much in the race for top three and a position to hedge against later in the season. What's your, if you had to bet MVP right now? I love that Steph Curry spot, to be honest. And the fact that they, the team has gone off to a slow start means he's not going to sit, to be honest. Like, he he just needs to play, and they need to win. So um, I like that spot. For me, it's going to be Devin Booker. And I'm not a big fan of this guy, full disclosure. I'm not a big fan of the Suns as, as well, full disclosure. But with that being said, at plus 4,200 for the best player on potentially the best team in the West, if they were to finish first place in the West – he has to have consideration right now. He's averaging 27 points, 5.6 assists, 4.5 rebounds. And you expect those numbers to even go further up, especially if Chris Paul and Cameron Johnson miss time. Uh, his splits are pretty good as well, right? 47.5 field goal percentage, 38.4% three point and 86.8% free throw. So he's going to have the efficiency numbers as well as the usage numbers. If those guys are out, I think the caveat here is, they have to finish first in the West. If they finish first, plus forty two hundred is amazing value for Devin Booker. I just don't, I just don't think he'll ever get the numbers to to get the, the numbers right now are so crazy for the top guys. They're so bonkers. We have so many. There's so many players averaging thirty plus, and the yeah. usage levels are so high. Um, I, I at forty two hundred, there's probably value there, but um, boy, it's. Devin Devin's just like a really good player, a great player, the best player on a really great team. And I don't know that that's enough in the current environment because of how yeah. the award being voted yeah. right now. Uh, sixth man of the year, Bones Highland is plus thirty five hundred. I looked this up. He missed a couple of games recently with an in, with a, a health and safety protocols. He's averaging seventeen in his last ten after a rough start to the season. Getting back from uh, his health and safety protocols sometime in the next couple of days. The reason I would say that this has the best value, Bones plays great at home. The Nuggets' home schedule is really light at the beginning of the season. They've been on the road for just four games this entire season so far. Mm -hmm. January, they're just home every single week, every night. It's a super home-heavy schedule in the middle part of the season, and Bones plays great at home. I think there's a very good chance that Bones creeps up and gets a lot more value. 
we talked about this on Friday with Brandon. I just think there's a lot of value on all these six man candidates because nobody separated themselves. And so I talked, I gave a pick on Friday for who I think has value. I still think Bones Highland might be able to establish some value as well when he gets back from health and safety. What about you? Yeah, Bones is a good pick. I guess I, I want to say in our notes here, Russell Westbrook at plus 125 is absurd, absurd. in my opinion. Um, that's just way overreaction, overhype there. He is playing a lot better. The Lakers are playing better with him coming off the bench, but as a front runner, it, it doesn't make any sense for me. So I was doing, um, I looked at the top 50 scores in the NBA as of today, Monday, 11, uh, November 14th. There's only one guy out of the top 50 that plays less than 30 minutes. And that's our boy, Matherin. Hmm. So I love him as the sixth man of the year right now. It's plus 1,000, so 10 to 1 odds. He's averaging 20 points. If he can get that rebounding number up to the fours, I think uh, perception-wise, I think that's going to do a lot for you because right now at 3.9, it just doesn't sound like a lot. But if he can get 24 and 3, something like that, I think it's great value, 10 to 1. Again, you already mentioned this in a previous pod. We've seen a precedent where the rookie has won six men in the year, and I think at um, you know averaging 20 points in less than 30 minutes, it's absurd. So give me Matherin right now at plus 1,000. The only thing we talked about him on Friday with Brandon, I think the only the only concern is if they trade healed and he starts, if he starts by the end of the year, he's not going back. And that's yeah. like the only concern. If you it's basically built off of do you think this Indiana team will hold throughout the season? If you do, then they'll keep the rotation and he's good value at 10 to 1. Uh most improved player, I'll take Shea at plus 200. This was 1435 to one like there's all these numbers that this was crazy and i'm just gonna keep betting at shay to win most improved player uh it's to me it's not even comparable what he's done versus everybody else he fits also all the, also the categories when brandon anderson and i did this entire podcast and laid out the model for what this guy looks like shay's it he looks if the thunder stay competitive and he's an all-star it's a done friggin deal uh <laughs> the the assumption is they tank I just don't know if if you can throw out a little bit this way. If you're wrong, if your base assumption that they're going to tank is wrong, Shea wins this. And I don't know that it's close. Yeah. So I don't know that you can ignore him in any betting position you take for most improved player. You at least better, you better have a strong feeling about whether or not they're going to tank or not by, by halfway through the year and shut Shea down. Yeah, SGA's numbers are absurd. Not only points, rebounds, assists, but if you add the blocks and steals element to it, because he plays elite defense, there's only been one guy with those numbers, and it's Michael Jordan. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter the other day, but he's having a Michael Jordan-type year. My pick's going to be Desmond Bain, plus 950. I think it's good value. I agree with you. It's Shea or, or no one else right now, but Bain... You know, rookie year only averaged nine. Last year, he averaged 18. He should have won the most improved player last year. I think it was kind of cheesy that uh, Ja gave it to Bain anyways. But this year, he's averaging 25 points a game, 91% from the free throw line, 45% from three, making almost four threes a game. And his rebounding and assist numbers are, are great as well, basically at five and five. So he's averaging 25 five and five those are like lebron james type numbers and he's he's doing it in my opinion as the most important player on the grizzlies even more important than jaw because he plays defense and um to me desmond bain should be in in the consideration or in the running for most improved it's a good point about the jump uh that he's made in points per game that's been really important in predicting that award Defensive player of the year, Eileen Giannis right now. I don't think there's anybody that really stands out. I do want to talk about OG Anobi. We kind of dismissed him on Friday's pod because the wings don't win. 
I did look up who leads the league in stocks and uh, stocks this season, steals plus blocks. And then not only in raw, just like total. And not only is it OG, but it's OG by 10. He has 10 mm-hmm. more than the second most person in steals plus blocks. His steal numbers are ridiculous. I have a hard time identifying what makes OG different than Mikhail Bridges last season. Some of the raws are better in terms of steals, right? Like that's a thing that you can kind of, of clamp onto. You don't look at the Raptors as this dominant defensive unit like Marcus Smart's Celtics. I don't know what the argument is for him. I just know that 1400 is probably too much for a guy that has put in, that has the reputation that he does, that is as good on eye test as he is in the stats and has this kind of advantage in stocks uh, this season. I think OG's got a little bit of value. I'm not going to bet it, but if I had to, I'd probably be looking at OG, even if, again, I just can't find a reason why he's different from Mikhail. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I hope you're right with this map because uh, so I'm a big trading card collector person. I'm a big uh, I'm big into the hobby. So I have a huge stack of OG Silver Prism rookie cards, PSA tens that I would love for him just to pop off. Whether it's uh, most improved or he has a moment in the playoffs like he did in the bubble, but um, I'm a big fan of his. I think the the similarity between him and Mikel is really spot on. Very versatile defense, guard multiple positions. Um, and then play, you know, play sound defense as well. They're, they're not only cheating to get those steals, but they're actually picking your pocket. So I like that as well. My pick, and it's, uh, uh, I guess, a bit of a reaction uh, from this weekend, but Joel Embiid, right now he's plus 1,600. I know there was a lot of momentum in the Action Network slack heading into the season for this, but I think there's actually value right now, especially after that seven-block game. He's uh, he ranks. I, I don't have the exact numbers on me, but I think he ranks top six in blocks now and top 10 in rebounds. So if you're top 10 in both, you're pretty much penciled in as someone who's, uh, you know, a top three consideration. That's the reason why Rudy Gobert is always in there. Ben Wallace previously, Dwight Howard previously. So if he stays top 10 in both rebounds and blocks, I think he's going to be in the discussion um, for for defensive player of the year. So Joel plus 1600 to me is pretty good value. This is Brandon Anderson's big Philly position in preseason was betting Joel for DPOY, and I hated it then, and I hate it now. Okay, <laughs> I'm just telling you, AC, I hate this bet. Uh, they're eighth in defense right now in adjusted defensive rating over at Dunks and Threes. Guess who hasn't played for them in several games? <laughs> Mr. True. Harden. And so yeah. with Harden out, guess who plays more? Matisse Teibel, and your defense gets better because he's a defensive player. Uh, their offense is only 13th. There's This is all correlated Harden gets back. The defense probably gets worse. I don't think they finished top 10. I do think voters will look at who are the great defenses this season and who are the leading players on them. That was a big part of it. I think last season when the Celtics were so dominant defensively and by such a wide margin that one of the Boston Celtics had to win it. And with Robert Williams hurt, Marcus Smart got the push. I don't expect the Sixers to finish with a top five defense. I don't think that they'll finish better than Milwaukee, the Clippers, the Suns, the Bulls right now are fourth, which credit to them. It's um, crazy. Yeah. The Blazers are fifth. Don't think either of those teams hold. The Cavs might at sixth. That they're a team I think that might finish top five. The Wizards are seventh. Probably won't won't hold. Uh, Dallas is an interesting question just because this is year two of them. Basically, like they're pretty good on def- on defense. How we don't know. They just kind of are. Um, and then Utah uh, top ten as well. The Raptors eleventh. By the way, going back to OG, do I think that the the Sixers can hold at seventh, maybe sixth? Yeah. Do I think they get some past Giannis or Brooke Lopez? Maybe if those two cannibalize each other's votes, mm-hmm. maybe that's the angle is 
Nobody on the Suns or Clippers can win it because it's all wing guys. And the Bucks can't win it because Giannis and Brooke cannibalize each other and Joel picks up the remainder. I could see that happening. I can I can see it happening. He's been good defensively. I wouldn't still say I thought last year he kind of slagged a little bit. He was better on deep dive than I thought he was at the level. His drop coverage is still pretty soft. He makes up for it with the blocks and rebounds. Um, I have a hard time figuring out if this is a bet to make now or not, which is not to say that you shouldn't probably take AC's advice on it, but uh, I, I'm very torn on it. I can't argue stridently against it. I'm just worried mm-hmm. about it holding up over the long term with Harden's absence. Yeah, it's a very interesting analysis because the way you presented DPOI is what MVP used to be. So maybe the narrative there is changing, right? Because MVP used to be best player on the best team. Yeah. Now it's just the best player with the most absurd numbers Absolutely. because of advanced analytics. Yeah. But now with DPOI, the way you mentioned it, it could be the best player, best defensive player on the best defensive team. And that's why Marcus Smart won it last year. I agree with you. I have a big position on Giannis for this anyways. Um, but Joel, to me, after, again, it's a big caveat, but if he can continue this type of run defensively, I know he's scoring a bunch of points, shooting absurd, but if he's, if he's going to get 10 rebounds a game and block five shots a game, I think he has to be in the conversation. And he just needs to play Colin Sexton, not passing to Jordan Clarkson yeah, in the corner that lunch, and he can get there. That's going to wrap it up. Thanks for joining us, everybody. You can follow Albert on Twitter at Analytics Capper and follow him in the Action Network app as well as you can find my picks. We'll be back tomorrow with a Best Bets episode with AC along with Jay Money, as well as picks all throughout the week on Buckets. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you guys again next time. Let's get Buckets.